Hey, I'm Scott. And I'm Chris. And this is Doxologic, where we help you think with your Bible. Well, welcome back to another episode of Doxa Logic. Pastor Scott, it is officially fall it at is. the time of this recording. You look like you are ready for the fall. I have one big batch of fall today. <laughs> one yes. Big batch. You got the fall plaid. <laughs> You're ready to go, man. I love it. This is so good. Uh, the season. weather is good. The season is good. And we are joined uh, today by just a, a really special guest. We love to think, of course, all of our guests are special when we get the opportunity to have them on. But for you, I think, in particular, this is a really uh, sweet opportunity. So why don't we uh, go ahead and say hello to our guest, Dr. Joel Beakey. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Oh, we're doing well, thank you. Great. Thanks for Great. joining us all the Great way from, from Michigan. That's right. Where in Michigan are you located, sir? Grand Rapids. That's kind Grand of the south, southwest Michigan. Grand awesome. Rapids. And awesome. I had the privilege of going to Grand Rapids just recently yeah. to take a class at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, where Dr. Beakey was my professor, and what a blessing, just a yeah. gift that class was to my own soul, let alone what I pray will be my preaching, although time will tell, <laughs> and uh, hopefully it will be a great blessing to the people. Yeah. But um, yeah, we have Dr. Beakey, and Dr. Beakey, I'm honored that you're with us, and uh, wanted to start by just getting a little background about you. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit about how you came to faith, and, um, and then maybe what your ministry background is, and then we'll jump into the topic today. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on this uh, podcast, uh, Scott. Um, it's an honor for me to be here and to speak, especially about family worship. That's that's fantastic. Um, I grew up in a very conservative, very godly, reformed home. Um, my dad was a ruling elder for forty some years in the church. My mother was just the most godly prayer warrior you can imagine. So I, I just was really blessed. But when I was 14, I came under severe conviction of sin because I wasn't saved. And I, I, felt, I felt I was a reprobate. I thought God was hanging me over the pit of hell. I was that spider that Jonathan Edwards talks about that's hanging over the pit of hell. And all God has to do is take a scissors and cut the string and, and down I go. I, I lived under severe conviction for well over a year. It was a very hard year in my life. I just felt my original sin. I felt my whole being was corrupt. And then we had a minister finally come to town and uh, come to our church. First minister that our church had in 40 years. And he was very gospel-centered. And uh, he made a statement to my grandfather at a family get-together. For you too, there's a way of escape in Christ Jesus. And God just used that statement for me just wonderfully. And I didn't know the terms active or passive, uh, or passive obedience, but I saw vividly for the first time in my life what the gospel really is, that Christ suffered and died for sinners and passively, that is suffering-wise, coming from the word passio in Latin, meaning suffering, paid for all the sins of those who came to him and received him by faith. And I saw his active obedience, that he obeyed the law perfectly, loving God above all, loving his neighbors himself. And I saw vividly that night that through that double obedience, 
I could be saved, and I was saved, and I surrendered everything to Christ, and I just felt like that Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, I felt like the burden just rolled off my back. I was rejoicing, and my hands were up to the heavens, just crying out with tears for hours, and just thanking God, and at three o'clock in the morning, I, I was just so bursting with joy. I, I came down and got my dad out of bed. <laughs> he kept stumbling <laughs> out. I said, he said, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. I'm saved. I'm <laughs> washed away. And he said, well, tell me about it. And so I told him and it was just, um, that was an unforgettable, unforgettable time in my life. Hmm. And then about uh, a year later, I was powerfully called to the ministry, like earth shakingly called. Um, through God speaking to my soul, go forth and preach the gospel to all nations. And I was very shy. I was just like, this is crazy. There's no young minister in our entire denomination. This cannot happen to me. But it was just, it was the most real thing ever happened to me. I, It's more real than the chair I'm sitting on right now. And I've never been able to shake off that initial calling. It was so powerful. And then God confirmed it in a number of ways. And then by the time I was uh, 21, I was almost through college when I couldn't wait any longer. I just felt God was propelling me forward. I was accepted by my denomination to study. I was the only student in the seminary. <laughs> and I received uh, four years of education from um, a man named Reverend Westrate in St. Catharines, Ontario. And then I was installed. I was 25 in northwest Iowa for 700 farmers. And I didn't know the first thing about farming. And then uh, several years later, I accepted a call to Franklin Lakes, New Jersey for all white collar people, lawyers, doctors, uh, just the opposite kind of personality in general. And didn't know much about that either. And um, while I was in New Jersey, I went to get my PhD from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And then I came here to Grand Rapids 37 years ago and I established, um, uh, with the help of my denomination, my, the new denomination that developed a, a seminary called Puritan Reformed. Started out with four students. Now we have 400. And um, I have been pastoring the Heritage Reformed Church here for 37 years as well. And then the other big thing in my life was uh, starting Reformation Heritage Books which now is um, a flourishing ministry. And I'm now board chairman rather than president of that. Uh, so we have a, a new CEO. It's going well. And I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful, godly spouse. I just love her. I love her like crazy. Um, Mary is her name. I have three wonderful children. They have three wonderful spouses. I mean, one, one each. <laughs> <laughs> And um, we have 10 grandchildren. The last grandchild was just born a few months ago. It was 11 pounds. Can you believe that? Wow. And, um, wow. <laughs> my daughter took her last week to the, uh, to the doctor. And, you know, they check your percentile on the weight and the height. And uh, <laughs> she was 99% on both of them. Yeah, I was so, going to say, can you go beyond 100% in terms <laughs> of exactly. the percentile? This is a very big girl, but she's sweet. She's a lovely baby. And, um, yeah, when she was born just after we left Singapore on our way to South Africa. And uh, we were just in South Africa. But we had been around Singaporean people. 
And you know, if you know anything about Singaporean people, they're wonderful, but most of them are only like five feet tall. They're very, you feel very tall around them. So this baby is born at two feet, two feet long. I said to my daughter, I said, man, she's 40% of the way to being an adult. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I need to make my way to Singapore. I, I would like to feel tall. If you were in our church, Dr. Beaky, you, I mean, six foot five is not that tall around our church. I don't know what happened to us, but we have a lot of very tall men. You have a lot of tall people. <laughs> we do. Scott, my neck hurts sometimes, depending Scott on which group I'm in. Oh, I think. <laughs> Well, man, thank you for that introduction and uh, really a great probably transition into the topic at hand, which is family worship. Yes. You're talking about the heritage that you come from uh, with godly parents and then your own children and grandchildren and, and a good deal of your um, ministry to uh, many families really around the world is in family worship. That's and right. maybe, Scott, by way of introduction for yourself and your introduction to uh, Dr. Beaky in this realm of family worship before we begin asking... Uh, um, Dr. Sure. Beaky, some questions. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Chris. How, how did you? How did you learn about Dr. Beaky? Yeah. I think. Yo, how that. did I? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, uh, praise God. Your introduction was so helpful. But um, to, praise God for Reformed Heritage books. Yeah. I, I would tell, as I told you, Dr. Beaky, when we were together, that I don't think any uh, resource or resources have sustained my soul in ministry like the Puritans have. And I have just developed a just a robust affection for the Puritans that has um, buoyed my own soul in a variety of different ways, and even brought strong conviction to how I lead as a Christian and a pastor. And one of those areas that the Puritans are actually really well known for, and now in our day, you're, I would say you're a leading voice of just championing family worship, right. something that's um, so essential. The Puritans would say it was to be done daily, uh, and, and we're very serious about that. And in our busy lives with kids growing up and, um, you know, the temptation, we're, we're a church in the suburbs, and so there's a lot of opportunities, and so you can very easily have family worship be, you know, uh, uh, challenged in the home by a whole yeah. bunch of other priorities. And so I just, I know this will be helpful to our people and to our parents who long to raise their kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And and I think just maybe this will benefit them to give a little encouragement, a little perspective in our time together today. And so maybe what I'll do, Dr. Beaky, is take it back and just say, when did you really start to develop a growing passion yourself for family worship? Yeah, let me back up even one more step, Scott. Uh, my, my my dad did do family worship, and he did it quite well. Uh, but it was the Dutch tradition that I grew up in where you pray before each meal. You read scripture after each meal, and you pray again. What we did not do is we did not sing. And... Most of the time, there were exceptions, most of the time my dad didn't really talk to us about the chapter read, but I did have that framework of family worship um, actually three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, because even till today, we, we always we always pray before a meal, and, you know, maybe two, three minutes, and we always pray after a meal, three, four minutes, and we always read the scriptures and so on. But when our children were three years old, three, three to, I guess the third one wasn't born yet. Um, yeah, three and two. 
I received an invitation to go to South Africa, and one of the subjects they wanted me to speak on was family worship in the Reformation and the Puritan era eras. And I um, said yes. I began to study, and it it just overwhelmed me uh, when I began to understand how they did family worship, also in Scotland, and um, actually spent time each day with a father instructing his children from the chapter read, taking the major points of the chapter and bringing them home to the hearts of the children and, and, and to his wife and to himself. And I came to my wife at one point in my study. I studied probably 150 hours for this talk. And I just said, we've got to change. We've got to change right now before our kids get older. We've got to really add to what we're doing. We've got to talk to the children every day. And we've got to close off family worship every day with singing. So my wife said yes. But then I went and delivered the talk. And um, something happened uh, Scott and Chris, at that conference that I've never had experienced any other point in my life. God was just there in that talk, more than all the other talks I gave by far. And um, I went to my room right afterward and just fell on my knees and just cried out to God and prayed that this talk would bear fruit. I felt like there was something God was going to do with it. And then I went over to lunch and you know how when you go in the cafeteria, you can hardly hear each other talk because there's so much buzz going on. Sure. It was absolutely quiet. Nobody was saying a word. And I, I, I leaned forward to the guy next to me and go, why is everyone so quiet? And he, he whispers to me, he goes, well, the president of Pachastrom University just got up and he, uh, he prayed and he broke down while he prayed at his failures in family worship. And now his children are out of the home. And, and then he just advised every single pastor present at this conference to get a cassette tape. Those are the days of cassette tapes. <laughs> get a cassette tape for every single family in the church of this talk and start doing family worship right away. Well, I was dumbfounded by that. And, uh, but then the man himself walked over to me and he asked me to make a promise to him. I said, well, what's that? He said, will you promise me to write this out in full and to put it in a, in a little book? And I promised him on the spot. And that was actually the beginning of my lifetime of ministry. Um, I'll say the last 30 years of my ministry of really pushing family worship to the very front burner. I have spoken on family worship now somewhere around 150 times in 30 some, maybe 40 some countries. And um, I just feel really, really passionate about it, that we've lost the art of family worship. Most churches today, where most conferences where I speak on it, there is no more, there, there's no more than 5 to 10% of the people. And these are Christians who are doing daily intentional family worship in the kind of way that the Reformers and Puritans did it habitually. Hmm. So challenging. And, and so there's, we're going to cover a lot of ground today in the hopes that we can give, we'll start with the kind of a theological groundwork or framework uh, grounding, and then we'll move to some of the practical and hopefully end with some encouragement as well, because 
uh, as you mentioned, th- this is something rightly to be convicted over if it's not there, and um, but brought to a, a, the the joys and the excitement that is there inherent in this responsibility and this privilege right. that as the leaders of the home, the father and the mother, to be able to to do this, um, you know, work of family worship and to enjoy this benefit and blessing. So let, let's lay a theological framework, if we can, Dr. Beaky, for this, just to kind of inform our people, like from, you know, the roots of theology come the fruit of our, our actions and our, our convictions. And so um, what does the Bible have to say about family worship? I realize it's kind of general, but um, I'll let you fill that in for us. Well, the Bible... The Reformers and Puritans would say to us, teaches us there's four important things in family worship. The, fir- the first one is that you're to read scripture. I mean, that's that's obvious. Second Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Timothy grew up in an atmosphere, at least of his mother and grandmother, reading the scriptures to him. And from a child, he was brought up in the scriptures. This is a daily thing. Hmm. And so you need to have that from the parents to, to the children. I, 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 hope, I hope that every listener at least is doing this much, reading the Word of God every day to their children. I hope our Bibles aren't growing dusty on our shelves. That would be awful. So this is kind of like a, a no-brainer. Um, you've got to be in the Word day and night. I mean, Psalm 119 in 174 of the 176 verses is basically saying to you through the Word, law, judgments, statutes, you've got to be in the Word every every day. Um, blessed is the man who meditates in, in the Word of God day and night, Psalm, Psalm 1. So there's not a direct command in the Bible, thou shalt read thy Bible to thy children every day in family worship, but it's insinuated all kinds of places. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you wouldn't think of not eating food for a whole day. You can't possibly think, if you're a Christian, of not giving yourself spiritual food every day. And where do we get the spiritual food? We get it from, from the Bible. So you got to be reading it. Amen. And if we care about our families at all, of course, we've got to be doing it for them. So that's number one. Number two is not only daily reading of the Word of God, but then daily instruction. Daily instruction in that Word of God. One of the best proofs here is um, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, where it says, I command thee this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach the word diligently to your children. Shall talk of these things when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Now that expression about walking, sitting, that's a Hebrew expression that actually meant in their language these are all daily activities. You got to be doing this every day. Um, so, daily instruction, talking to your children. What are the major points of this of this Bible chapter that we just read? And then, thirdly, daily prayer to the throne of God. Daily prayer to the throne of God. We're told in First Timothy four that everything needs to be sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer. You can't possibly have a godly family without having prayer being the foundation of it. We, we say a family that um, 
prays together will, will stay together. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. Mm. But Jeremiah 10 verse 25 is a solemn text. Pour out thy fury upon families that call not on thy name. Mm. Imagine that. Whoa. This is not just the anger of God. This is the fury of the God, says Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, Thomas Brooks, a Puritan, reflecting on that text, said this. He said, a family that doesn't pray daily together is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. Hmm. And then fourthly, daily singing of the praise of God. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 15, says that the, the salvation, the song of salvation is heard from the tents of the righteous and the voice of rejoicing, which is a clear reference to, to singing. Hmm. And this is not synagogue singing, this is tent singing. And Philip Henry, the father of the famous Matthew Henry, said this is a clear reference to singing in the tent on a day-by-day -day basis in, in, in the family. And of course, that's reaffirmed by texts like Colossians 3.16, that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and we're to teach one another, admonish one another. These, of course, are daily activities in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So our families owe allegiance to God. Amen. And in that allegiance, we are to do family worship. Uh, J Joshua put it so well when he was 100 years old and he was just leaving the scene of Israel. He says, as for me and my family, after I'm gone now, we will worship the Lord. So he said a holy habit, as the Puritans would call it, doing family worship every day. And he knew that his children would continue it because this is just what you do. Um, you, you eat supper and then you have spiritual food <laughs> or, or whenever you do it during the day. And, and you just wouldn't think of not doing it. It's interesting that I used to meet with my son once a month in a restaurant somewhere. when He was a bit older before he got married and just have a chat and, and talk about things and uh, give advice and ask him if he had any questions and ask him how his walk with the Lord was going. And well, the last month before he was married, I had a list, a longer list because I thought this is my last chance. Cause once he's married, you know, I can't start, keep giving him advice unless he comes to me. So, and one of the things I had on the list was make sure he's going to do family worship. But as I was talking to him, something strange happened to me. I, I go, I don't need to ask him this question. Of course he's going to do family worship. He's had it since he was, a baby. And uh, so I, I didn't ask him. And of course, all of our children now do family worship with, with our grandchildren because that's just what you do. You don't think about brushing your teeth. You just do it. So it's not a matter of should we do it, but when you get in the holy habit of it, these four things that the Bible commends and commands and our consciences speak that the Lord Jesus is worthy of these four things. Um, just become automatic. So the question isn't, that's where you want to get your family to be. Shall we do it? But the question is, how can we do it better? 
Yeah. Do you have any practical suggestions for doing those yeah. four parts of family yeah. worship? Is there is yeah. there some help from like the the theological to like rubber meeting the road when you've got you know you got to get all your kids' attention? They're varying ages. Something spilled on the ground. You know, like yeah. the chaos around that. Like, how, how would you help uh, us, uh, our listeners, practically on that? Yeah, yeah. There's a difference, of course, in doing family worship with uh, when you've got four children under six. Uh, <laughs> from when you know you've got all teenagers, you have to be shorter, of course. You have to be realistic, and um, if you have both, if you have both, if you have teens and young children, you might have to shut down family worship after five, five to seven minutes, and and, and let the children uh, then go, the younger children go play, and and maybe you just want to chat chat onwards with the older children. But, um, yeah, there are practical things for each one of these four categories, actually. Um, first of all, you need to – I say you need to prepare for family worship. So what we did was we, we didn't do it around the kitchen table because all the dish, dishes are there and stuff. But right after supper, we go into a separate room, and we'd have five piles of books there. Everyone had their regular chair. You have your Bible. You have your hymn book. You have a, maybe a daily devotional. Maybe you're going through another little book, too. Uh, anyway, maybe you have a commentary there, one volume, Matthew Henry commentary, something. Whatever you need, you ha- those books are there. Everything's prepared. You don't start from scratch every day. Um, and when you start, you make sure that you don't go too long. Uh, don't overreact in zeal and do a 30-minute family worship on your first day. Uh, generally, 10 to 15 minutes a day. Is sufficient. Um, remember, this is not a daily thing where you do 30 minutes on Thursday and zero on Friday. It's daily food, and you 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 conduct family worship as a father with um, a soft, penitent heart, but a firm fatherly hand. Uh, you're in control of this, and the children must sit up. They must reverence the Lord. Um, in a way, it's like a little mini church service, but there's there's dialogue, of course, and there's freedom, but it's a sacred time. You uh, you don't answer the phone when it rings, for example. This is the most important time of your day. You you have an audience with the King of Kings. The person will call back or leave a message. So that you set that tone. This is the, the most critical time of the day. You're doing the most important thing of fatherhood when you do family worship. Now, if you're a hypocrite and you go against what you say in family worship, you're not going to do much good. But this is the foundation. And then you've got to follow it up with the godly living, the kind of living you commend in family, family worship. Well, okay, let me say a word about the four parts. So first of all, you want to, um, you want to read Scripture. I'll just tell you a couple things we did that we found, I found this worked out well. As soon as the children can read, I include them in the reading. So if they're six years old already, maybe it takes a while to read a couple of verses, but you include them. You want the, all the children involved. So if we're going to read 20 verses and that night, and I've got five people in my family, everyone's going to read four verses. Number two on reading the Bible, uh, you can break away from your system on special occasions. My dad always read Psalm 91 or 121, the day that we were leaving on a summer vacation. That was a special tradition. We'd go back in the house after the car was all packed, and uh, 
Last thing we would do is he'd read one of those two psalms, we'd pray, sing, and then we'd uh, we'd get in the car, go on vacation. I'll never forget that. Or say you're having Lord's Supper, you might want to read Matthew 26, Isaiah 53. But do have a system overall, even if you do break away sometimes. Um, so I, I found I found that when children were below ten, maybe well below nine, I would say, read a lot of stories. Um, Genesis is a great book, Gospels. But once they're even eight, but certainly nine, ten, and older, just read the whole Bible. Um, and we usually do a little mini family worship in the morning, longer one in the evening. So you might read uh, Psalms or Proverbs in the morning. And then um, in the evening, we often alternate it between Old Testament and New Testament. But the idea is you, you, you move through the whole Bible in about three, well, it usually takes about three years. Because you're not reading a lot of chapters every day. And you're talking about them. So that all takes time. Um but then you see a child gets to hear all, all the major comments about the word uh, six times in, in, in their life before they leave home, six or seven times. So you end up talking with, about every subject under the sun with your children because the Bible talks about every subject under, under the sun. So you also want to teach your children how to read, um, how to read the Bible. And you only need to do this a couple times, and they, they get it real quickly. Say they're seven years old, and they're rattle-trapping away as if they're reading some kid's book. Say, wait a minute, my son. You're reading the Word of God. Read respectfully. Slow down. Emphasize every word is the Word of God. Or maybe they're not reading with good intonation. Say, put more expression. Let, let, let me read that verse you just read. Let me read that. And I'll read it with passion and expression and say, now you do that. And uh, before you know it, they get the hang of it. So they grow up <clears throat> reading the Bible with a really good expression and at the right speed and with emphasis um, becomes very natural to them. So that's reading the Bible. What about talking to them? That's number two, instructing them. Well, it's important to take the major events or the major teaching of that chapter and ask yourself, what is this chapter really trying to get across? Now, if you can do that yourself and say, here, here children are the two or three major points this chapter is getting across, more power to you. But most dads I know have a hard time spending 30 minutes in the morning preparing for family worship in the evening. So we got together with a bunch of guys, uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, and we spent five years writing a family worship Bible guide, which you can get from heritagebooks.org, which does exactly this for you. It gives you two or three major points at the end of each chapter called Thoughts for Personal and Family Worship. And then, Dad, you just read that, and they end with a question, and you throw that question out there. And your wife jumps in, your kids jump in. As you dialogue, you, you keep asking your kids questions the best you can. In if if I may, Dr. Beaky, that book in particular has been very helpful oh. for our family. <clears throat> I've got a 
10-year-old, 6-year-old, and 4-year-old, and particularly in the morning when my, my son has a reading program. He just actually finished Genesis recently. He's in Exodus now, and most days we are getting that chapter that he's just read himself, and then we're talking about it over breakfast and asking oh, that's at least one or two of those questions. So, sometimes it's um, a very clear connection to Christ that just at his you know, age, it's, he's not picking up on that yet, the Exodus themes, and, and so uh, just want to affirm that and so grateful for yeah. the work that I, did, I didn't realize how, how many people it was that had their hand in that but it's um such a blessing yes. let's put it in the show notes yes, so that will. our people can get access to that absolutely book. yeah thank you yeah. okay that's great yeah that's great it is our best-selling book has been for quite a while and i've actually gotten more more encouraging feedback on that book than <laughs> probably everything else on my whole life i've written together um just because it's 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 user friendly every day for people you know every day they lean on it and it i think i think what keeps so many people from doing family worship is the dad just says this is over my head i i just can't handle this and um and, and this takes the work out of it and it gives him a guide to go by anyway so so do that but i think the main thing you want to remember is what is this chapter doing? Is it saying, is this mainly encouraging? Is it mainly warning? Is it mainly gospel? Is it mainly law? What, what, what's it doing? And your, your discussion should be doing the same thing. You're bringing them really the word of God. And then you want to uh, also do all of this. You want to do this affectionately at the level of each child. So let's say you've got two young children on your lap. And one's on one knee, one's on the other and you've got them, their legs inside of your knees, so their, their, their faces are facing you. And that's what you want. You want your arms around them. You want to be like the man in the book of Proverbs and say, come, my children, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you understanding. And with understanding, I'm going to teach you wisdom. Uh, come, my children, Psalm 34, 11. Um, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit alone can apply that to the heart. But see, spiritual family worship, God is used as a means for the conversion of tens of thousands of children in mm. church history. That's good. And, and, and over and over and over again, kids have been converted. My own brother said, my oldest memory in life is looking up into my dad's face when the tears are streaming down his face in family worship. And he said, Dad, I, the only thing I remember, my oldest memory in life, I was three years old. I, I only remember thinking, God is real. God is real. So thank you, Dad. I never had to doubt the existence of God, he said to my dad. So no one's too young. And by the way, uh, Nick Thompson and I are also writing a nine-volume nine volume family worship series for very young children from three to nine. And uh, the first volume is now out. It's called Beginning, 92 Family Worships on Genesis. And the second volume came out um, two weeks ago. It's called Wilderness, and that's from Exodus to Deuteronomy. Now we're working in volume seven, which is the gospel. So we're going to go back and forth to the Old and New Testament. We're going to do six volumes on the Old Testament, three on the New, God willing. But as you talk to your children affectionately, you see, you want your children to feel your love for their soul and for their mind. And um, by the tone of voice, by the affection with which you speak to them, don't make it family worship a burden. Make it a delight. Um, it's okay to have some laughter in family worship from time to time, but overall you want just this sober, loving, 
drawing teaching to this wonderful, glorious triune God, this beautiful Savior, as poor, needy sinners looking to him for everything we need. That's, that's what you want to do. Now, the other thing you want to remember here real quickly <clears throat> is you want to share your own experiences, your own joys, your own fears. You want to set a model for your children of your own spiritual pilgrimage in a way. Your children should know when you were saved, how you were saved, and, and so on. Um, you, you, you just want to make it very, very real. And the lives of other people as well. Maybe someone in your church. Lady in my church was converted through Psalm 31.15. Every single time, every single time we come to Psalm 31. I'll, I will tell my kids that story. And then for praying, be relatively short, be specific. Uh, if Johnny has a big test tomorrow, pray for him. If Sally's getting sick, pray for her. But pray for the big things too, for the salvation of their soul. And uh, what we did, which I really, in hindsight, it worked, this did work out well. I would always give the opening prayer to family worship as head of the home. And then my, I had my wife and my children take turns with the closing prayer. And when the child was three years old, I'd say, okay, now they called it the daddy's prayer. I said, now you can participate in the daddy's prayer. And I would whisper words into the child's ear. I'd whisper the whole prayer. And the child would say them aloud. When the child was four, I'd say, now you, you begin the prayer. And when you run stock, just give daddy a poke in the stomach and I'll help you. And that's what they would do. That we do that for like three years. And then when they're seven, I'd say, okay, no more whispers in daddy, from daddy in your ear. You take the whole prayer now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it became natural for them to pray, even in front of their friends that came over once they're seven years old. Because they've been so used to it. And then for singing, uh, for singing, just make sure you don't say, okay, I, I, I believe the Reformed faith, and then you, you pick out Arminian songs. It doesn't work. <laughs> Come on. Work. Let your singing be cohesive with what you believe. And, uh, and encourage your children to sing loudly, uh, reverently but loudly and wholeheartedly. And, and don't forget to sing the Psalms. Um, and classic hymns are great, but sing the Psalms as well. They're so... So theocentric. So, so those are those are my practical advices in those four areas. Oh, super helpful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, and uh, just a lot of insight there. I, I think about um, a couple of questions came to mind even as you were sharing, but but maybe um, help us of help us and others avoid some mistakes that you see that you might want to you know own like yeah been there before uh, on on maybe it's age and stage and and things like that of, of the, where the children are at that you would just say hey caution you against the following and you kind of did that a little bit but uh, mistakes to avoid when it comes yeah, okay. to family worship yeah there's 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 a bunch of them but let, let me just rattle off four or five real quickly some conscientious really godly fathers make the mistake of expecting too much of children when they're 2 3 and 4 I mean, you include them in family worship, you ask them questions, you give them hints at the answers, but 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 don't beat yourself up uh, if one minute they're saying something very godly and pious and the next minute they're asking, you know, when can we have dessert or something? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what a child acts like. So so don't, don't overly stress over that. The child will gradually grow. 
grow in, in, in being able to contribute to family worship. Another mistake that I made at the beginning, quite often actually, it finally dawned on me, uh, I learned it the hard way, is when your children start answering questions, and if they take it in other tangents, don't say, okay, we know we got to answer this question literally and we got to keep going along these lines. No, as long as you're talking about the things of the Lord, if children want to steer it to a, a subject that's even remotely tangentially related, it's okay because you're <laughs> yeah. talking about spiritual things. And some, some <laughs> other place in the Bible, you're going to get back to that other theme. Which kids uh, have a tendency to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I love how you said a remotely tangentially, which <laughs> is a, a long so, uh, stretch yeah. from where we might have started. But we're talking about Jesus somewhere, right? Yes, yes. I, I didn't recognize why, that. Why that's important, you see, is because this is what's on their mind right now, and sure. you're meeting them where they're at. And this is this is actually actually very very important. Another mistake is going going too long going too long. Some fathers get overly zealous at the beginning. I actually suggest that when you begin, I would say begin with a three-minute family worship. Just read five verses and, you know, just something very small and, and one one question and, and pray. And then you just naturally expand it a little bit as it becomes more familiar in your family. Don't overwhelm them at the beginning with too long, too long family worship. So th those are three, three common mistakes. That's helpful. Could you, um, I think about it, Chris, I don't know from your perspective, maybe we chat about this for a second, but uh, how many times I sit down for family worship and then I think afterwards what just got accomplished there? Oh, <laughs> just wanting to believe something did. Yes, yes. Uh, tr having yeah, to trust yeah. that something did, but may maybe Dr. Beaky speaking into, could you speak to the parents, maybe a sense of discouragement that they would feel as they sense their efforts are falling woefully short at times? Yeah. So, yeah, I get that question a lot, Scott. And, and basically what I say is this. So at night, when it's just you and your wife and you're going to bed and you get down on your knees together and you pray your way back through the day and you ask God's forgiveness for your sins and family sins, and, uh, that's a very sweet moment. But um, try to always include this, Lord, something like this, Lord, please bless our feeble efforts mm. at, at family worship today. And Lord... I confess it didn't go very well today, but please forgive me for that and help me help me to do it better tomorrow. And uh, hmm. just remember, family worship is not something you're going to make or break on any given day. It's a holy habit pattern that you're developing. Some days will go poorly. Some days you'll read the family worship Bible guide. The questions will be answered in one or two sentences and nobody will know what to say and it won't go on very long. But the next day you're going to have a good discussion. And uh, it's going to be wonderful. So God knows. God is mindful of our human frailties, as we sing in one of our Psalters. But we trust in him, and um, he's compassionate. It's just like the meal you eat physically. Not every meal tastes exactly as good every day. Some are a little bit of a flop. And uh, though you don't say that too easily to your wife. But, <laughs> but, you know, every once in a while there's a flop. It's like us with sermons, mm -hmm. right? Not sure. every sermon is a home run. So um, sometimes we don't even get on base. So we, we, we just ask God to forgive us. And my experience, both with family worship and with sermons, by the way, is that when I flop the worst, the next time is usually one of the best times because I'm more dependent on God and I'm crying out for help. That's good. Uh, two thoughts. One, I just the whole um, 
imagine again you've been at this long enough and with enough people to hear uh it doesn't uh it didn't work or it's not working i think of such a pragmatic world that we live in mm. expecting expecting whatever they are expecting to happen soon and to happen co- consistently that's not fair maybe yeah. in the sense of what what your expectations would be in family worship but it's that idea and you've said it multiple times the holy habit yeah, of language. it yeah. as opposed to i i tried for two or three months um and we tried everything that you said and it's not working and that's some of the more discouraging things i think as a pastor to hear when um you're concerned that just the mindset, again, coming from such a maybe Western and or yeah. pragmatic approach. Yeah. Yeah, short-term vision and long-term vision are two different things. When we look at short-term vision, uh, we can easily d- get discouraged about anything. We can get discouraged about our sermons. We can get discouraged we see few converts for a little while. When you look at long-term vision and you look at what God has done, you can be very encouraged. So... And your kids are so used to you doing family worship, they're not going to compliment you every day and say, Dad, you did a great job in family worship today. No, this is just like eating for them. You know, it's something you just do. Uh, but when your son, I'll just tell you this one, because this is kind of a sweet, humbling moment in my life. You know, when your son gets up at the wedding wedding reception when he when he gets married and, he's, and he turns to you and says, Dad, and he's going to say something to you, you're, you're just kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> What's he going to say? Here it comes. <laughs> and then he gets tears in his eyes and he looks at you and he goes, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for all those family worships. And <laughs> the tears just start flowing and your, your heart is melting and, and you realize, oh, wow. Oh, wow. He really, he really was listening. <laughs> he really did hear. It really was, it really was. It really was penetrating. You know, I think you knew it before, but when you hear a particular moment that that's the one thing he picks out, that he remembers you as a father. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have lots of flaws and faults as a father, and he knows them. But that one thing must have stood out, or he wouldn't have said it. So take the long-term view. Don't be discouraged. Press on. Most things God does, he does step by step, slowly in life, gradually, builds us up in the most holy faith, gradually conforms us to the image of Christ, gradually makes us love him more and more. Same thing with family worship. So you're in it for the long haul. Don't quit. Don't resign. Resign. I like that. Don't resign. Resign. That's awesome. Well, and I think the holy habit thing, going back to what you were saying, Chris and Dr. Beaky, obviously that being your language that you're using on that, so important because if you see it as a holy habit, it's less a day-to-day assessment of what's going on. That's probably not even wise to do, (laughs) and you're doing it in obedience to God, and that's why you're doing it. And you're going to, first of all, just uh, let the Lord work out how he's going to use it, uh, but you're going to do it. And that's how you're going to look at it on a day-to-day basis. The success is that it happens, exactly, that not it happened. how it went yes. every day. Yeah, that's good. Right now, addressing your own heart issues mm-hmm. as a father sure. and or a mother about what you went through during that. Oh yeah, you know uh, whether that's an anger an expression of anger or hypocrisy at how distracted the kids were, sure. and you're just frustrated about that. I have another, if I could, a question on um, kind of what some may 
be thinking, um, and I don't want to say it's only that only wives would be thinking this, but I do think predominantly it may be this way where the wife is saying, but my husband just won't. I, I want to do it. I'm married to a Christian. For some reason, it just he's not willing to get. What encouragement for a godly wife do you have as she prays for this and wants his heart to change? But what would you advise? Uh, again, it could, could be a husband with a resistant wife, to be clear. Um, no. But I think there you've got a leadership in the home with the head of the household that's much more clear compared to. When it's yeah. a wife, it's, how do you address and counsel that? Yeah, yeah. So ideally, of course, in, in a Christian home, husband and wife are one on this. And uh, and maybe every other month or so, just have a little chat on their own and say, you know, what can we do to improve our family worship? Uh, am I coming across okay? Uh, I'm going back to the last question huh? uh, to, my, to my wife. Uh, any suggestions for me to do it better? And she might say to me, any, any suggestions how I can support you better in doing this? And, yeah, that's ideal. But a lot of families aren't in that situation. So the question you just asked, Chris, <clears throat> about the God-fearing wife without a God-fearing husband um, is a big one. I get it all the time. And basically, I say two things. One is go to your husband and just say, if he, if he won't take the leadership, can, can we do this together somehow? Can you, can you at least ask the kids you know, to do the reading? Um, and maybe just have a really short prayer, and I'll, I'll take over doing the questioning. Or I'll, um, and if he says no, then go down a step further and say, okay, do you mind if at least I, I do this, and, and and you take the leadership as a wife, because it needs to be done. And um, if he's resistant even to that, doesn't want to participate at all, then um, what I recommend is that, especially when the kids are young, and, and you know you put them to bed. Just have a little two, three-minute family worship as a mother with, a, with, with each child. Uh, just talk to them a little bit about the Bible, read a couple of verses, have a short prayer. Very short, but find a way, find a way to have something regular for each child if you can't do it all together without, um, you know, upsetting your, upsetting your husband. God can help you. Yeah, it's a good word. Yeah, I'm glad you asked Thank that question, you. Chris. I'm, it kind of came up off the cuff, but a, a worthwhile one. Yeah. Or even how that applies to a single mom. Sure. Right, where that responsibility would yeah. then fall on her shoulders and that Christ gives grace Absolutely. in that measure Absolutely. To, to, the, to the mom to execute that in that kind of situation as well, right. which is which yeah. is common, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, in terms of who we care for, that sure. would be a... Yeah. a Absolutely. percentage of the people for sure. Um, well, maybe Dr. Beaky, we could round it out in this way and um, speak to, you know, obviously you could think back in on your life to various ways family worship has blessed your heart. Um, but if you maybe could go back and talk to your younger parent self, what would you say to him and, and how would you encourage him? And, and maybe even doing that from a few stages, because obviously when kids are young, that differs from like right. the the mid years of the eights to twelves, and then the thirteen to seventeen. And so, maybe, uh, what would you say to yourself at those different stages? Yeah, I would say of the young stage, <clears throat> stop worrying so much. Um, lean more on God's covenant keeping graces, and trust that God will will bless it. 
to your children's eternal salvation, if not now, in, in the coming years. Uh, I, I definitely worried too much, and my wife worried even more than I did that we were doing a poor job. And um, I think we should have leaned harder on God's covenant-keeping graces, hmm. that he will train up a child in the way he should go, and when, when you're old, when he's old, he will not depart from it. And uh, sometimes, sometimes, honestly, we sit in our two chairs in the living room and we look at each other. We've said this many times to each other because God's been very gracious to how our children turned out, at least up to this point. You still got to keep praying for them. But we look at each other and say, you know what? This is amazing, but but our children turned out better than we raised them. <laughs> this, is total, this is totally grace, right? Right. It's amazing. So I think... I worried too much and trusted God too little, but um, and then in the in the teen years and so on, um, I think the biggest mistake I made was in those times when say say your son's in college and couldn't join family worship for two or three nights of the week. I wish when he did come home, I wish I would have just broken away from my work and said, "Look, son, it's too it's too important for you to miss family worship." Let's just you and I have one for six, seven minutes. And uh, I'm sure he would have said yes. And I, I didn't do that. So I think, I wish I had. I think I think when, you're, when you do have a child that can't be there, do your best. Do your best to, to have a, find a few minutes to be with each child each day. But I would also say to my, to my younger parent self, <laughs> I'd say, thank God that I had to do that talk when my oldest was three years old. And thank God for the response of that Potterstrom University professor who encouraged me to write a whole book on it, which I do. I do have a separate book, by the way, called, just called Family Worship, the how-tos of it, which you can read in about an hour and a half, which is also available for, from heritagebooks.org. It's just called Family Worship. And I walk through these four things, how you do them, also answer a lot of objections against family worship. And then I conclude the book with a whole series of motivations. What should motivate me to keep doing it? Like a good conscience, um, like seeing good fruits in your children and a closeness with your children. You know, you know, if you keep doing family worship, you're, you're talking about very intimate spiritual things. You're talking about real things. And then when your kids become teenagers, they don't just turn that off. So I, I see family worship like putting putting money in the bank that you can you can take out in their teen years and 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 lean on lean on what you've been doing in all the years past and uh, mm -hmm. have an open relationship yeah, with your kids amen. all the way through those teen years that's another thing i was worried mm -hmm. about the teen years i heard so many bad things about the teen years and uh oh we love that we love the teen years with our kids but that's again the grace of god of course that none of them ever rebelled in any appreciable measure not that each one was equally easy, but the teen years are a wonderful time when you build on family worship to, to really have heart-to-heart -heart talks with your kids. It's so cool when you can start talking to your kids like adults. And, um, yeah, I, I love that. I love that closeness. <laughs> so encouraging. That's, um, I mean, a, a huge piece of what I think about with family worship is long-term, even going back to that wedding illustration with your son and uh, 
kind of uh, what what do you want to be known for as a father and what does god say you should be known for right in yeah. terms of uh, when they look back what will they say the sure. impact of your fathering was on them and I don't know if any would take the cake more than to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with a specific emphasis on family worship. And it's just helpful. It's helpful to hear how accessible it really is. And yeah. I think even just this conversation takes the Everest of creating a worship service in my home right. down to yeah. the simplicity yeah. of, I-, I can do this. Yeah. First of all, I do this in my own soul. Sure. And now I can give this away in an appropriate measure to my family, and uh, and it acts like a deposit. That was that last thing you were saying. Like you're making a deposit into your kids, and you cannot underestimate what a little bit over a long period of time compounds into in the development of their souls, the nurturing of their souls, but also of the relationship that you have with parents to, to kids. Yeah, so it's yeah. all very encouraging. Just, yeah, I think of by by the the macro view here, what you covered with us is uh, read, instruct, pray, and sing. That's right. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. Read, yeah. instruct, pray, and sing, and and what you read and how much you read, what you instruct and how long you instruct for, what you sing together, uh, um, and then oh well, how you involve prayer and you praying and them praying. All of these things have have an age and a stage and an ability to it. But you, yeah. you, you trust the Lord with that, and though that for that's your that's your guide, right? Yeah, read yeah. and pr- read, yeah. instruct, pray. And yeah, and I want to. I want to add one thing to this that I haven't stressed properly. That's very, very important. It's probably the most important thing of all. Perfect. It's the very end. So this is okay. this is okay. great, Doctor Beaky. Love, love. You love. gotta love your children. There you mm-hmm. go. You gotta love them in family worship. You gotta love their souls. J.C. Ryle said, "Soul love is the soul of all love." Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I'll tell you one more quick story as we close. But my son never told me this story, but a guy in my church told it to me. He was. This guy's a really close friend, so he's very open with me. I've been his pastor for 37 years. And um, he said, you know, we went down to Mexico, and your boy was there. And I was just kind of curious. I thought, you know, I don't know everything about our minister after all these years, even though I'm a good friend with him. I'll check I'll check, it, I'll check you out. So he went to my son. I started asking him questions about my fathering and stuff. And my son, he said, seemed a little edgy about it and um, not really giving him straight answers altogether. And finally, he said, your son just turned to me and looked at me. <laughs> and he said, look here. He said, my dad's got his flaws and faults. But I want you to know one thing about my dad. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loves my soul. <laughs> mm, amen. And wow. I, I, when the guy told me that, I got tears in my eyes on that one, too, uh, because... You know, we we all fail. We fail so many. I, I have I've made a thousand mistakes as a parent. Sometimes you're too harsh. Sometimes you're too lenient. Sometimes, ah, sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes you, I mean, how many hours you spend with your wife talking about how do we handle this child in this situation? But God can wash it all away with His grace, and you know, you look to Him for help, and and you love them. Hmm. You love them. If love is not the bottom of it. Love to God and love to them. Um, the bottom of your bottom of your relationship is going to fall out at some point. Hmm. And, and, and kids know when they're loved. Kids know when they're loved. So oh, yeah. love them also in family worship. It's a great time to love them. Yeah, that's yeah. a great way to end. Yeah, thank you, uh, Dr. Beaky. Just as we uh, expected in looking forward to this interview, such a deposit of wisdom. 
um, we know by the grace of God in your life, but now to uh, many who will listen to this, and we um, hope and pray as you, uh, listener, are absorbing this and thinking through it, hopefully challenge, and if convicted, have that conviction uh, lead you toward um, renewal, uh, or maybe a first-time effort towards this, uh, look forward to days uh, ahead of singing together and praying together and opening God's Word together, that you would uh, bring your children to uh, the Lord, to his, to the throne of God's grace, and that you would entrust uh, their souls to him, and that you would entrust to him the process by which you may just, just take that first step. Take that first step, and that first step of obedience God will uh, um, just re- reward in his faithfulness and grace as you mm-hmm. obey him in that. So, Scott, any last final words? No, yeah. just that we've mentioned what a blessing the books are from RHB, Reformation and they will be in the show notes. books, and we will put all yeah. of those in the show notes, including Dr. Beaky, that new nine-volume series, at least the two that have come out. Praise yeah. God for that. That's news to me, and I like to stay on the cutting edge of all that RHB <laughs> is doing. RHB. I am your biggest fan. So thank you very much, Dr. Beaky, for your time. Thank you so much. God bless you both, and uh, yeah, bless your ministry. All right, thank you, brother. Well, listeners, if you have enjoyed Doxologic, we would just ask that you might take 30 seconds to give us a review by the time you're finishing this episode. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on um, Spotify as well, searching Doxologic, and you'll find that ability to write a review. It's very, very meaningful to us as you've enjoyed this type of fruitful content to continue to get that out to others. And so with that, we will sign off, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Doxologic, a podcast by Doxa Church in Rockland, California. To learn more, visit us online at doxa.church.